This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Uh, it is my privilege to share. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this message all in and the series that we're in. And another, you know, I, I go back to my childhood. Um, my dad, uh, he taught us to ski. And one of the things he would tell us is, if you're approaching, you know, a steep slope, and, you know, you, before you go, you have to be all in. You have to be fully committed to skiing that, that slope. You have to be without any reservation, without any hesitation. Because if you know anything about skiing, the way you control your skis is by keeping your weight on the front of your feet. And that's how you control um, turning and, and your speed. But as soon as you hesitate and are reserved and, and your weight is on the back of your feet, that's when you lose control. So when I thought about this uh, all-in series, to me, I understand that as being no hesitation, fully committed, and without reservation. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. And I also want to mention that we have a holiday coming up in a few days. And how many of you know what that is? <clears throat> President's Day? Well, I'm thinking more heart. Valentine's Day. Yes, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is coming up, and uh, <clears throat> I want you to know that this Valentine's Day marks the 30, 30th year anniversary of my engagement to my wife. I, yes, that's right. That's right. Yep, we were engaged 30 years ago on Valentine's Day, and uh, I remember it. Uh, we were at a, at a restaurant, and uh, the Olympics was on. I remember seeing that on TV. The Olympics was on. So here we are 30 years later. The Olympics is on again. Um, but so I want to try and tie together this idea of love and what it means to be all in. So this message this morning I've titled, All In, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's love got to do with it? Now, if you're like me and as old as me, about 30 years ago, there was a song with that title, What's Love Got to Do With It? I'm not going to pretend to sing it now, and I hope you're not thinking of it in your head, but um, we're going to find out that love has a lot to do with this idea of being all in in our relationship with God. And uh, I'd like you, to, if you would, to follow along with me in 1 John, the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4. And if you uh, have the Bible app on your phone, you can follow along if you have a Bible, or you can follow along with me on the overhead here. And we're going to start in verse 7. It says this, <clears throat> 1 John 4, 7. It says, Dear friends, <clears throat> let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God, and knows God. So this idea of being all in, of being fully committed, one of the things that uh, is going to, is a uh, characteristic of anyone that's all in, is that they are fully committed to not only love God, but to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to love people in general. So love is a 
um, a characteristic that cannot be uh, overlooked in our commitment to God. And then it says, it says, let us continue to love one another. So continue, they have already been doing this. This was part of their um, habitual practice. This is something that they did on a regular basis. And, and the Greek form of this word love is, how many of you know the word agape, right? Agape. And that's brotherly love or dear, um, to love dearly. And it says love comes from God. God is the source. He is the originator, the giver of love, not us. And then it says anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. It, love identifies us as cho- God's children. And a- another version says anyone who loves is born of God. And how many of you know when we are Saved, when we are born again, when we give our hearts to the Lord, we take on his nature. Amen? When we surrender our lives to Christ, the Bible says we are born again. And because God is love, our nature becomes, reflects his nature. So it says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And you should, if you have a, a, if you're taking notes... Just write down that for further information on love, for more explanation, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It gives you a full explanation of what love is. And verse 8 says this, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So here is, this is the litmus test. Have you ever heard that term before, litmus? Right? Who can tell me? Who Just shout it out. What is the litmus test? You remember? That's and That's right. That's right. It was a little strip, right? And you test a solution to determine acidity or pH level, right? Yep. Kind of like if, I know recently, in, in recent years, they've had like a, um, a, they sell these pool strips to determine chlorine, right? You put that in and it shows if there's chlorine. So a litmus test is a revealing test that shows one decisive factor. And it says, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is the essence of love. And this characteristic, this is the litmus test. This is the determining factor on whether you and I are a child of God. Do we act, do we operate in love? And his love doesn't depend On us, it fully depends on him because God is love. It's his essence. Now, I I asked a a very good friend of mine to come up here and sing this verse. And uh, I have to admit, she got a little shy, okay? Uh, But she did agree to do it uh, on video. So we're going to look at a video here of this verse, someone singing this, a very special friend of mine. Can we show that video? Okay, go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love, God is love. Beloved, 
Let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Amen. <laughs> now, if you don't know, that's my wife. And uh, when I asked her to come up here and share that, she turned about three shades of white and said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But I will do it on video. Um, but, you know, that, she learned that song in, in Sunday school 45 years ago. And she still remembers it. So I want to just take a moment and encourage you, if you don't have a habit of memorizing God's word, of getting it into your heart, one of the best ways you can do that is by putting it to a song. And this verse, is, is, is it not a great verse to memorize? Amen? And uh, I thank my wife, Nancy, for doing that. But, so this is the litmus test. If we walk in love, if we have love, we're a child of God. If we do, if we do not love, we do not know God. Now, how many of you would say you know God here this morning? So the test on whether we know God or not is, do we operate in love? Verse 9 says this. The end of verse 8 says, God is love. And verse 9 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Okay, the statement, God is love, and, and the explanation for it is God showed or proved or demonstrated to us how much he loves us by sending his one and only son into the world. And who, how many of you know who that was? That was Jesus. He sent his one and only son into the world <clears throat> so that we might have eternal life. Now, John 3.16, if you, if you know it, you can say it with me. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. And it says should not perish. The truth is, God loved us so much that even though we are sinners and our sin separates us from him. No one can be good enough. No one can do enough good things to go to heaven on their own merit. We needed a savior. How many of you know we needed a savior? We needed a savior. And God, rather than allow us to go to an eternity in hell separated from him because of our sin, he showed how much he loved us by sending his son to be the only perfect sacrifice, the substitute for our sin. He took that. And then it says, instead of perishing, so that we can have eternal life, that we can be with him forever in heaven. We can have eternal life. That's how much God loves us, so that he doesn't want us to perish. His will is that none perish, the Bible says, but all come to Repentance. God is willing that no one perish, but all come to repentance. Verse 10 says this. This is real love. How many of you know, is there a, is there a fake love, would you say? Yes. Can love be fake? Yes. Can love be words only? Yes. And no action, right? This is, this is real love. Just to make sure everybody understands, there is a fake love, but this is real love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son. He is the originator. He initiates love. It doesn't start with us. It starts with God. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen? Amen. All sin. His precious blood that he shed on that cross removes all our sin. And the Bible says as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our transgressions from us. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Amen. But the world, the culture we live in has a, has a different definition, definition of what love is, right? Yeah, it's about emotion. It's about lust. And, but this verse tells us what real love is. And in the Living Bible, this, it says it this way. 1 John 4.10, it says this, this way. In this act, we see what real love is. It is not our love for God, but his love for us when he sent his son to satisfy God's anger against our sins. Yes, God is love, but he is also holy. He is holy. He is a three times holy God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Amen. And because he's holy, there can be no sin in his presence. But he he loved us so much, he sent his son to be that sacrifice, to be the one to take the punishment for us. I love it the way Pastor Ron says, he says, Jesus was our whipping boy, right? He was the one that took our punishment in our place. It says, uh, it is not our love for God, but his love for us when he sent his son to satisfy God's anger against our sins. And Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates, everybody say that with me, demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we deserved it. We were were enemies of God. And if, if there's a verse in the Bible that doesn't show you that God is all in, in the, in the, in the process and the act of saving us, I don't, know what else, I don't know what other verse there is. God is all in. He is all in for salvation, for those who believe on his son. God is all in. And there's nothing that defines all in more than that verse, if you ask me. 1 John 4.11 says this, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, how much? How much did he love us? He gave his only son. We surely ought to love each other. If we needed anything more to motivate us, just the fact that he sent his son as an example of his love, we should love each other. We ought to love each other. But how many of you know sometimes loving each other is not that easy, is it? It's not that easy. But God, when he puts that love within us, he gives us the ability, he gives us the will to love each other. In John 13, 34, it says this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. 
love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. It says, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I am giving you a new commandment. Now, what was the old commandment? Anybody remember? Leviticus 19, okay? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that sound, to me, when I first read that, I'm like, it doesn't sound new. That sounds like the same thing. But if you look at it, it is new. He says, instead of your neighbor, he says, love each other. Love each other. Much more personal. Much more personal. And then instead of as yourself, he says what? Love your neighbor. Excuse me. Love each other as I have loved you. And is that not... That is not a tall task. That is, that is a tall task. Amen? That's what's new about it. Instead of love your neighbor, love each other. And instead of yourself, as I have loved you, you should love each other. That's what Jesus said. 1 John 4, 12 says this. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. No one has ever seen God loving. No one has ever seen God loving us and the, an example of that. However, if we as his people, as believers in Christ, if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. The church, the church is the demonstration of God's love to the world. If they don't see the love we have for each other, we fail, we fail at showing God, showing the world what, what God's love looks like. So love originated with God. It was manifested in Jesus, his son, and it's demonstrated by the church or his people. John 13, 35 says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This will be the identifying characteristic of believers, that they love each other. That will let the whole world know, people know that God is is real and his love is real and that we are his followers. Verse 13 says this, And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. God's spirit living in us is the assurance of salvation. God has given us his spirit as a witness that we are, we belong to him. Amen? We are his children. Listen to what it says in Romans 8.16. It says this, For his spirit joins with our spirit, To affirm that we are God's children. Other versions say witness, agreement, confirmation, assurance. The spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. When you give your heart to the Lord, when you commit to him, when you invite him by faith to be your Lord and Savior, when you stop trusting your own goodness or anything else, There is a witness. There is a confirmation that takes place. You know 
that something has changed. And the evidence of that is a changed life. Repentance is simply you're on one, in one direction and you turn 180 degrees and you're going in another direction. That is the assurance of salvation. God gives us his spirit to join with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. <clears throat> Did you know that in Roman culture, for an adoption to be legally binding, there had to be seven witnesses present. God's Holy Spirit confirms our adoption into God's family by the fruit he produces and the power he gives us. The power he gives us to obey and the power he gives us to love. We know the Spirit of God is working in our lives by the fruit that he produces. Amen? Let's look at that. How many of you know the fruit of the Spirit? How many of you can quote the fruit of the Spirit? Let's look at it. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. It says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And other versions say when the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives, it produces this kind of fruit. Love. Everybody say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. There is no restriction. Not even the sky's the limit. Heaven's the limit. Amen? Amen? And if you want more fruit in your life, spend more time. Spend more time in God's presence. Praying, reading his word. And not only reading it, but applying it to your heart, memorizing it. When you memorize it, it's a much more better chance that we're going to do what his word tells us to do. Verse 14 says this. Furthermore, he says, furthermore, as if, as if we needed more proof that God loves us, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. It says, we have seen. This is the writer of the letter. It's John, the beloved. We have seen with our own eyes and testify. We give testimony. We declare that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And that phrase, the only other place that phrase is found in the New Testament is in John chapter 4, when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And she went back and told her village about all the things that Jesus told her, that he knew everything that was going on in her life. And, he, and she said, Can this, could this be the Messiah? And when they came back, when the village people came back and, and talked to Jesus, the villagers, they said, we know and are convinced that you are the savior of the world. And that was declared by non-Jews. So he's the savior of the world, not Jews only, but also Gentiles. So how many of you would say you're Jewish here? How many of you say you're, you're Gentile? Okay, about half of you. Guess what? You're either Jewish or Gentile. Did you know that? either Jewish or Gentile. That's everybody. He is the Savior of Jews and Gentiles. Verse 15 says, All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. All who declare. And declaring something is not being ashamed, is being public about it. All who declare. Now let me ask you a question. 
How many of you have ever shared your faith with somebody? Not inside the church, outside the church, okay? Has there been times when you were reluctant or afraid? If you're honest, right? And what do you think we're afraid of? What are we afraid of? What they're going to think, right? What they're going to say. We're afraid of what they're going to think about us. And we tend to be people pleasers, do we not? Right? But it says, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they in God. If we're going to be all in in our relationship with God, we are not going to be ashamed to share our faith in him. Amen? Amen. What Paul said, the apostle, Romans chapter 1. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For what? It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If we are all in, if we are fully committed, if there's no hesitation in our relationship with God, we will have the courage and God will give us the power to declare our faith publicly. Verse 16 says this, we know, we know how much God loves us. We can see it. We know it. We know it. It's tangible. We understand it. He has proven his love to us. And we have put our trust in his love. How many of you put your trust in God's love? We can trust a lot of things, can't we? Can't we? We can trust a lot of things that we can see, we can feel, we can hear. Things that we can are obvious to us that don't require faith. Faith is though faith is, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's right, Hebrews eleven one, the conviction of things not seen. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. We we have seen the evidence of His love by sending His Son, and we have put our trust in that gospel message. That's where our trust is. As believers in Christ, that's where our trust must be. Not in what we've done. Not in our goodness. Not in our background. Not in anything we've done. And my question simply to you this morning is, have you put your trust in his love? And it says, God is love. And all who live in love live in God. All who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. To live in God. What do you you think that means? What what does that phrase mean? To live in God. Do you say abide? And how how do we keep doing that? How do we live in God? What's so important in that? So prayer life. Prayer. Spending time. Pastor Ron talked about it a week or two ago. If we're going to be all in, we need to be committed to having a daily quiet time with God. Amen? That's how. It's not the strength. The love doesn't come from us. It comes from him. And he gives us the power. He gives us the love that we need. And it's so important to spend that quiet time with him. That's how we live in God, by developing this relationship with him. It's not a feeling. It's not what we feel. It's a consistent attitude of giving ourselves to God and giving ourselves to others. That's how we live in love, and that's how we live in God. And love is the dominant characteristic of the true believer. 
Verse 17 says this. And as we live in God, as we have a relationship with God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. How many of you know there is a day of judgment? What does the Bible say? Hebrews 9.27, right? It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We will all stand before God and give an account. So listen carefully what this says. We will not be afraid on the day of judgment. How can we not be afraid on the day of judgment? We can face him on that judgment day with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. And if there's one thing I want to encourage you to pray for yourself and for your loved one every day, what would Jesus do, right? I mean, Lord, in every situation, every circumstance, every action, every reaction, I want to do what Jesus did. You know, when I, when I, I take my, my youngest son um, to school just about every day, every morning, and there's two things that I pray with him. I pray Psalm 19, may the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart be pleasing to God. And then I said, in every circumstance, in every way, in every action and reaction, every interaction with your friends, I pray that Daniel would do what Jesus would do in every situation. Amen? Amen. That's how we can have confidence on the day of judgment. That's how we can have assurance on that day. And thank God that his mercies are new every morning. Amen? Thank God that his mercies are new every morning because we need his mercy every day. Jesus is our example. The closer we are to him through prayer and obedience, the stronger our confidence will be. As you develop your relationship with Christ through prayer, and not just reading his word, but obeying it, that confidence or faith or assurance gets stronger and stronger so that we can face him with confidence, it says, because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18 says this, such love, this kind of love, perfect love, complete love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. You know what that word expels is? Has anybody ever been expelled from school or any place? Expelled? No, thank God, right? So what does it mean? What does expel mean? What do you think? Cast out? Driven out? I got a little object lesson to to illustrate this. says perfect love expels all fear perfect love how many of you know what this is here okay looks like a gas can doesn't it but actually it's it's our heart okay and I I really struggled uh, when I was trying to find these these uh, items how many of you know they don't make a gas can with a with a relief spout anymore. They don't make it, right? Did you know that? They don't, because I guess we're letting fumes escape, right? Is that what it is? They're not capturing the fumes, so. But how many of you know how important that little valve is, right? Because that word expel actually 
The root of it means to displace. That something is occupying a space and love expels or forces or drives it out by force. And Rennie, could you come up here just for a second just to hold this? And so that is our heart. <clears throat> this is God's love. And just stand right, like right here. Just, yeah, I see it right there. Thank you. Can you see that? God's love. And when he, as our relationship grows with him, and he pours in his love, and I'm just going to take that off. Now, it's important for that little cap to come off because as we fill, guess what's happening? Guess what's coming out of that hole? Fear. Fear. That's right. He got it. Fear. It says perfect love casts out fear from our heart. Fear. And as we, as we get full of God, as God fills us, how many of you know we can be filled with the Spirit of God? Amen. And it says to be being filled on a regular basis. It expels the fear that's in our heart. Amen? Lots of fear around here. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. Amen. Thank you, Rennie. Appreciate that. But that was, honestly, give, give Rennie a hand, everybody. Thank you. But I wanted everybody to understand that uh, perfect love casts out or expels fear. And we can have fear in our heart. And we can be afraid in light of that, the judgment if we're not living like Jesus did in this world but as we develop that relationship with him as we live in God as we walk in love that fear of judgment is cast out it's pushed out it's displaced by force it says if we are afraid it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So if there's one message I want to deliver this morning, it's this. If we're afraid of God's punishment, if we are fearful of that judgment, we are not yet all in in our relationship with God. That's the message. If there's fear, if we stand in fear, if we walk in fear, listen to what it says in the Message Bible on this verse. Listen to what it says. 1 John 4.18 in the Message Bible says this. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling a fearful life, a fear of death, fear of judgment, is one, is a life that is not yet fully formed in love. And how many of you know that fear totally handicaps our faith. Amen? Totally. Yeah, that's right. Fear is the opposite of faith. It really is. Fear is the opposite. Uncertainty. And the cause of it many times is that we're not fully committed. We're not totally surrendered to God. We're not all in. So if there's one message to take this morning, it's if we're afraid, if there's fear, we're not all in. But you can be. You can be all in. 
Verse 19 says this. We love each other because he loved us first. He is the originator. Not that we initiated any love on our part or our merit. But God is the originator of true love. And when we do operate in love as believers, it's just, we're just conduits for his love. Amen? Amen? We're just conduits. He works through us. Verse 20 says this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. You can't love God, say you love God, and then have hatred towards a fellow believer. It does, fear or hatred and, and love do not, cannot coexist in the heart of a believer. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Obviously, it's a lot easier to love someone we can see. But if, if we have bitterness, hatred, um, holding a grudge, okay? Let the Holy Spirit work a little bit in your prayer time and ask God, is there anything in me? I think David said, there be any wicked way in me, Lord. Lead me to the way everlasting, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, Lord, know my anxious ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me to the way everlasting. And God will faithfully do that, I promise. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, the person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? Verse 21 says this. And he has given us this suggestion... What does it say? Command. Is there a difference between a command and a suggestion? Yes. It says he has given us this command. It's not optional. It's not up to our discretion. It's not up to our choosing whether we decide to obey or not. If he's Lord of our life, and he, you have to surrender to him to be Lord. He is Lord, but he's, if he's Lord of your life and my life, we, commands are not optional. He has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Amen? In 1904, a Welshman ventured halfway across the world to India, and he trekked up the mountains toward a remote village in the east. He was told, go back. The tribe in that village is famously violent. But the Welshman ignored the warnings because even these savage headhunters head should have the opportunity to hear about the mercy of God. One Garo tribesman from the tribe Meghalia named Naksang and his family heard the gospel and received Jesus as their savior. God bless you. The good news was too good to keep the, to themselves and they shared the gospel with others in the tribe. The chief was very angry, and he had the tribesmen and his family dragged before the village. Stop following Jesus, the chief demanded. The tribesmen replied, no, I have decided to follow Jesus. I am not turning back. The chief was furious and killed the tribesmen's children. Stop following Jesus, the chief insisted. The tribesmen replied, Though none go with me, I still will follow. 
No turning back. The chief was furious. And the chief showed no mercy and he killed the tribesman's wife. Now you will stop following this Jesus. The chief said, the tribesman looked the chief in the eyes and he replied, the cross before me and the world behind me, no turning back. The chief could not believe his ears and he killed the tribesman. Jesus said, if a grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. And that day, many of the villagers who witnessed the persecution of that tribesman and his family also decided to follow Jesus. Even the chief himself became a follower of Jesus Christ that day. The tribesman's last words became the song of the village, and today it is sung literally all around the world. A hundred years later, we still sing this song in church. And how many of you know it? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Do you know that you are singing the words of a dead man who lost his children, lost his wife, and eventually lost his own life for Jesus? Why do we consider not following Jesus when hardships come? Why do we deny Christ's lordship over our lives when certain friends are around? We can lose literally everything here on earth. But remember, Knox saying, and the words he said when he lost everything, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. That's a true story. That's a true story. And that's where that song came from. And I want to share that song on a video this morning. And if you know the words, please follow along. Go ahead.
decided this morning to follow Jesus? If not, will you decide to follow him? It's not easy sometimes, right? Think about that story. When I read that, tears came down my face when I realized he had just accepted Christ. And, but all those things that happened, he, he was saved. God's nature became, he reflected God's nature. The Spirit of God witnessed with his spirit that he was a child of God. And he believed the message enough, enough to love God more than his children, his wife, his, even his very own life. And God will give us that strength that we need at the time we need it. Amen? And he gave everything. But what it means to be all in is fully committed, fully surrendered. And just know this, that God was all in. He was all in the business of saving us by sending his only son to die for us. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this privilege to share your word, Lord. As we have learned what it means, to, what the real meaning of love is. And that love is an identifying characteristic of believers in Christ. And you call us, Lord, to be fully committed, to be all in. Because you have set the perfect example. 
showing your love for us and sending your only son. So that, if that isn't the inspiration, all the motivation we need, I don't know what else can motivate us, Lord. But we thank you for that, and we ask you, Lord, to help us in those times when we are afraid. Father, help us to draw near to you, and you will draw near to us. You will pour in of your love in our hearts, and it will displace any fear that's there, any fear of punishment, any fear of judgment. But the key oftentimes, Lord, is just us confessing that to you, spending time in your presence. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here, those that are online, those that may be downstairs or in the balcony. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you administer to each one at their point of need, Lord. Meet them at that point of need, Father God. Help them to see that you are all in, and they in turn would surrender completely to you and absolutely as our Savior and Lord. And as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to encourage you to, I want to remind you what that song said. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you made that personal decision to receive him as your Savior? Do you have that confidence, that assurance, in light of his judgment? It's appointed unto men once a giant after this, the judgment. Are you, do you have that confidence? If you don't, you can have it. Salvation is by grace, not by works, not by goodness, not by our goodness. It's by grace through faith. And I want to encourage you, if you've never received Jesus, if you've never made that decision to follow him, I want to encourage you to pray with me now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know that you love me because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to shed his blood, so that I can be forgiven. He took my place. He took the punishment I deserve. And Lord, I also believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is alive. And I open my heart, Lord, and welcome Jesus into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior, and to be my King. Help me, Lord, not to live in fear, but to live in faith every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.